Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jared Pitney, and today I am joined by Trevor Thomas. Trevor, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. You're the first official uh, mother-son combination. So we had your mom on here, I think it was last fall, uh, Rhonda Thomas, who is, or I guess was at the time, uh, the lieutenant of the criminal division, served as a detective there, and now works with the county. And yes, so sir. it's good to be able to have you on, man. I've heard a lot about you. We had a chance to have... Uh, Alexander on uh-huh. last year. I know you guys went on this four-month hike uh, down the Pacific Crest Trail. I uh, want to talk about that for sure, but something uh, that I found out just this morning, I was watching a video that your mom had actually sent me, and I found out this video and then talking to some of the guys from Night Production that mm-hmm. you were actually kind of born with the odds stacked against you. So you had the doctors kind of putting limitations on you of what yeah. you could and could not do physically. And so, man, I, I want to hear... A little bit about that, because I know not only have you done this trail, mm-hmm. uh, but you played four years of, of college soccer. Uh, I heard you're training for an Ironman. Yeah. Oh, is that <laughs> true? Okay, yeah. that's a big deal. So I figured that would come up sometime. Yeah, man. So so take me back. Tell me about uh, about this limitation, about the disability, whatever it was that you were born with, because I'm a little bit unfamiliar with it. Yeah, uh, it's pretty rare. It's called Klippelfell syndrome. So basically, you're just the... Just, uh, I don't know the scientific terms, but it's just a mix up with, with this stuff. And then you're born with fused vertebrae. That's like the main, the main symptom or whatever you want to call it. Fused vertebrae. So. And you, but you only have one kidney. Is that right? Yeah. That's also. Where did that come from? It's a common thing that like ties in with Klippelfell syndrome and then like long limbs and like kind of a shorter torso. I have like really long legs and arms. So that's kind (laughs) of, that also plays into it. But yeah, all three of those things are kind of a combination. So it was I mean like was it kind of hit or miss when you were born or more just kind of like you're born just with this fused vertebrae it's just, that, like it's just like a sorry to cut you it's just like a birth defect uh, it's like it's pretty rare it's like one in every I want to say fifty to a hundred thousand or something like that okay. And your prognosis is basically like, what? What are they telling? And they're like, hey, he's just going to be a normal kid. Like, he'll be able to do everything everyone else is uh, able to do. Or is it more like, hey, he needs to be really careful. What's, what, uh, what, what was your mom hearing? They told my mom I had to be very careful with physical sports or, like, anything simple as jumping on a trampoline because apparently it's easier for me to get paralyzed. Jeez. If I, like, fall on my head and, like, break my neck or something. Wow. That's not exactly something you want to hear for yeah, your mom. Yeah, exactly. So – she was told all of that stuff about me when I was younger. And then she told me stories about how I would crawl as a baby. I would like crawl on my back with my head instead of like crawling on my stomach, like a normal baby. Yeah. Yeah. That's not normal. Yeah. I don't know. Wow. But just stuff like that, just, um, not being physically. So that had to be terrifying. Like I'm like, did she, I mean, I'm thinking like if that's something that I've been told, uh, I'm a father of three, so it's like I'm probably going to want to like wrap my kid in bubble wrap and like yeah. make sure like like look nope nope don't jump in or you're running too fast. Like uh-huh. was that your mom's approach or like early on was she kind of like you know what no like I don't want to hinder him from having as normal of a life as he wants. Like how did you I and mean, we'll get into like the Ironman and all that, mm-hmm. but let's start with the small stuff like trampoline or playing some sports with kids. Like the youngest thing I can remember is um, I have a scar right here. Or is it on this side? I can't remember anymore. Yeah, it's on this side. Okay, yeah. I was three. I was running down the hall. This is like my first memory ever. <laughs> like, it's the only <laughs> one I can remember from that age. But I tripped and hit my head on a fish tank, like, right on the corner and busted it open. And I stood up and I was like, hey, Dad, the movie's on. Like, didn't even realize that I <laughs> had blood running down my, like, I, 
And so he like, his face went white and then he got my mom and then they like rushed me to the hospital. And my mom was telling the doctors, he'll be completely still if you just like, don't try and hold him down. Just let him, just let him sit there and he'll be completely still. But because they were like trying to hold me down because I thought I was going to freak out, I started freaking out. Mm-hmm. And so they had to kick my mom out of the room. But that was like the first memory I have of like, like an injury or something mm-hmm. that I couldn't really like even tell. Like I have a higher pain tolerance than most. Does that have anything to do? I don't think it has anything uh-huh. to do with that. I think my mom just didn't baby me a lot because huh. I have another, like I broke my wrist once and I was holding it. I was like seven and I went up to my mom. I was like, Hey, my wrist really hurts. And she's like, ah, you're fine. Go play. <laughs> <laughs> and then my dad, like second glance, he's like, eh, I don't know. We might need to take him to the doctor, but yeah, I had a broken wrist, but she's never really, not like, it sounds like I'm saying she didn't care, but <laughs> no, man. she just, yeah. she taught me, biggest thing she taught me was how to pick myself up, you know? Yeah. Not, not like cry whenever you fall down, kind of just yeah. get back up and see if yeah. you're okay yourself. Well, it, man, I would just imagine like with kind of a diagnosis that you were given as a baby, like it would have been so easy to go the other way and be yeah. like, oh, well, I've got to protect this kid at all costs to make sure they never get a bump or a scrape. And you would have obviously turned out to be a very different yeah, kid. A lot a different. different man, yeah. I um I I think she did maybe try to baby me at baby me at first because I found a note that she had she journals a lot. She'll just leave stuff all That's over cool. the house. Yeah. So like she didn't know I have this, but four or five years ago I found a, a little note she wrote me back in it's dated to two thousand one. So I was like three. Okay. But it said I wish I had it it's in the car, but it it kind of touches me. Yeah. Um, it says, like, we want to baby you, but you're already so, like, independent. And you, you do whatever you want to. Like, mm. nothing's holding you back. So we're just going to figure out how to um, keep pushing you and not hold you back also. So Yeah. What is it about that as you look back on it that moves you emotionally as you think about it now, looking back? You're how old now? Uh, 24. I'll so be 25 in July. So Okay. So that's, you know. Uh, 21 years after that was written, and even now you're looking back at it, knowing you were three then. Like, yeah, I don't even know what I was doing back then that caused her to write that. Yeah, man. What is it about it now, though, that emotionally, like, it moves you, it touches you? Um, I just know that she's been my biggest supporter, and anytime I've ever said I wanted to do something, there's always been people that have doubted me Mm. and said, "Man, you can't do that," or something. And she's always been the person to say, "I know you can do it. Just be careful," you know. So. Yeah, why do you think people doubted you? Um, partially because of how I was born, but also I think, I don't know. People, <laughs> When people see you have a, a huge dream, they're like, I, they just don't think it's possible because they didn't think about it maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You talked about in the video that I watched um, – Right before I came here, we've got a link to that, by the way, in the description. Um, I'll send it to you, Chris, so that way you can put it in the in the notes uh, on his on this episode. But you had talked about how before, or one, I guess, one of the reasons maybe you decided to go on the Pacific Crest Trail mm-hmm. was that you had kind of began to doubt yourself yes. again, and like kind yeah. of you said, become thin skinned, basically like letting other people get to you, uh-huh. uh, just. Yeah, I'd love for you to expound on that. Like, what did you mean by that? So, I can remember the first time somebody mentioned it to me. Like, I didn't even realize 
like there was something wrong with me until I think it was third grade. I was standing by the swings and somebody just looked at me and said, why are you like this? And they like shrugged their shoulders up and kind of, and that was the first time I like clicked for me. Talking about like, is that the, the talking about the long limbs, that sort of thing? Or just like? talking about why my neck was shorter than everybody else's. Okay. Because my vertebrae fused in my, in my yeah, yeah. bottom two of my neck. I don't know what the actual yeah. things are, but so after that first time, I kind of realized it and it never, up until like all throughout high school, it never really like bothered me per se. Cause I was always doing my own thing. Like I knew confident in myself, you know, mm-hmm. and then just somehow sometime in college, it kind of just confidence all just went away and stuff started getting to me. Yeah. What do you think it was at that point? Do you think it just was the stage of life you were in? Like you were now old enough to kind of put things in perspective and look back at stuff that happened in the past or things you missed out on? Or was it like comments people made to you in college or something that you had to miss out on in college that made you start feeling that way? I think it was a combination of a lot of things, but I was in a relationship that kind of didn't work out. And Mm -hmm. then that mixed with like being the top, the top dog in high school, like not, <laughs> I want to stay humble, but I was like one of the best on the team in high school. But you were at Paragold Tech, where were you at? I was at Tech. Okay. And so going from that to like playing in college is a huge jump. And so like the first year and a half of college, two years, I wasn't really playing a lot, wasn't the top person anymore. So I think a combination of those two things. Yeah, and talking about soccer, right? Yes. In case, yes. I can't remember if you said that or not, but yeah. So I think a combination of those two things is what... um ultimately kind of started getting to me yeah yeah man shame is as like that's what i would emotion i would label that like um and we all experienced it to some extent but i always tell people the difference between like shame and guilt is like you know guilt is whenever we're like oh i've done something wrong or mm-hmm. i've done something bad but shame is more like no i am bad yeah. or like guilt is like oops i messed up or it's like no like i'm i'm messed up yeah you know and um yeah, shame can be debilitating. Like, it can literally cause us to, yeah, like, just, clam up and be like, forget it. It's mm-hmm. what's the point, you know, shut down completely. But for you, you responded differently. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a time for, like, two-ish years where I was, like, kind of just mellowed out, not really myself anymore. And even my mom noticed it. She was like, when are you going to start being yourself again? Because kind of missed that. But then I was just searching. Me and Alexander had talked about um, backing around to Iceland, which I – I still want to do that might be on the plane after that. that might be on the plane after the Ironman. I'm not sure yet, but, um, so we were talking about that and I was like doing all this research and then I came across the, the PCT videos from Elena Osborne and I watched like the whole series of that and I was like, okay, rain check on Iceland. We're going to do this instead. And then it took like six or seven, eight months of convincing Alexander. And then he was <laughs> like, finally I went to his house one day and I was like, man, I'm doing it with or with yet without you. I I prefer that you come with me, but I'm doing it either way. So, mm-hmm. and then he went and watched the videos, and then he was like, "Okay, I'm in, man." So, and at the time, it was like the motivation, like you could feel your confidence waning. So it's like I'm gonna try to do something hard, uh-huh. exactly, to, to remind myself, like that I can do whatever whatever I want to. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a different mentality because mm-hmm. a lot of people are so afraid to fail, especially whenever you're already living in shame that you're like, that's mm-hmm. the worst possible thought is like doing something else that you could fail at yeah. or feel like you failed at to make you just, oh, that just confirms what yeah. I already thought that I suck or whatever else. And it's like 
that's pretty incredible and pretty brave, I would say, mm-hmm. to push through your fear, to push through the shame and be like, no, like I'm going to do this really mm-hmm. hard thing. Um, what was, and Alexander talked about this a little bit in his episode. I don't remember. You might look that up even, Chris, at some point and see what episode it is so we can try to link back to that. But um, I'd like to hear from your standpoint, like how did you train for this? Because if you're going on a, the, the trail is 2,650 miles, mm-hmm. that's not exactly like, well, I'm going to walk down the street, you know, for a mile. Like, yeah. So how did you prep for that? Um, I'm going to be honest. I didn't really, <laughs> <laughs> I let Alexander do all the prepping and like the gear research. That was, that's the main thing when it comes to doing something like that. Like if you're in moderately good shape already, which we play soccer all the time. So we're in decent okay. shape and yep. I've always been in, in decent shape. So the main thing is getting your gear dialed in and what, how much weight you're going to have on your back, that kind of thing. So I let him do all of that. And then, I just went and basically copied everything that he bought. <laughs> and then, <laughs> That's awesome. Like a couple of weeks before, I quit my job like a month before we went, and then I started going to the gym and walking on the Stairmaster. That was about it, I'm going to be honest. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. You must have been in pretty good shape. Yeah, decent, I mean, look, decent shape. Looking at the notes from Alexander's episode, you lost 15 pounds in, in the, the first, first two, three, two and a half, three weeks, yeah, 15. What was that about? We're um, talking about like while you were actually on the trail. Not yes, the, yes. Yeah. Um. When you get out there, you kind of have to eat all day long, pretty much. And I wasn't used to doing that. And so you're you're wasting a lot of calories walking 20-plus miles a day. Do you know how many you burn? Calories? On average, yeah. Uh, I know right now I'm burning around 3,000 a day, and I'm not walking near as many miles as I was. So A lot. Probably a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thousands. Yeah. yeah. So I was, I was losing all this weight. Wasn't, they, they call it hiker hunger. So you get your hacker hunger within the first t- couple of weeks, and that's when you start like getting able to eat all the food all the time. So basically, whenever I got the hacker hunger, I put back on maybe like eight or nine pounds, but I was still decently skinny the whole time. Did you ever think you were going to die? Um. Yes. When I almost drowned, mm. that was the one time yeah, I thought Alexander I was going to die. Mentioned that, like you, you yes. jumped into some like a cold river or something, right? Uh, it was a lake. We were at the top of Ray Lakes, which is like. 12,000 feet elevation, and we're like, man, we really want to go cliff jumping. We're even thinking about how cold the water is, even though we'd been swimming the whole time. Like, we knew how cold the water was, but we weren't thinking about it. So we walk all the way around this lake. We climb up this big cliff. It's like 30, 35 feet, maybe. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll jump first, because I've always been the, the daredevil, the one that, like, goes first. So I jump in. Without even hesitating, we didn't check the depth, nothing. We didn't even think about how it, how where we're jumping is 40 yards from, like, the bank to get back up. Because it's a big cliff. Like, you can't climb back up. It's like a, you have to walk around. So I jump in. Don't even hesitate. Just count to three. That's my motto. One, two, three. Then just jump in. Don't think about it. Don't think about just it. Just go. Alexander's worried I'm going to break my legs. I'm like, ah, surely it's deep enough. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so I jump in and immediately freezing cold. And like, what did you feel? Like, when you say freezing cold, like most people don't know what that feels like. Um, well, it was so cold that I couldn't take in full, like, lung capacity anymore. Mm. Like, my breath was super short. I don't know if... It's kind of like getting in an ice bath, except you yeah. go all the way under, and it's just colder. So... <laughs> that sounds terrible. Yeah. I've just started doing cold showers, and uh, I can't even go to the ice bath yet. I've been trying to get... Yeah. Like, even cold showers, I'm like, 30 seconds is enough. <laughs> yep, yep. I was, so. I was in the water for a, a few minutes. Wow. And it was very and cold. And exerting energy. Exerted, yeah, I'm trying to swim 40 yards. I'm not the strongest swimmer. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just 
paddling as hard as I can. As soon as I hit the water, I'm like, oh, this is not good. I should not have came in here. Because, like, it's already affected my breathing. I can't take in, like, I'm doing really short breaths. And the whole time, Alexander's at the top, how is it? How's the water? How's it feel? He's just up there laughing. And I'm just paddling from my laugh, you know. And it gets to the point where, like, I can't breathe. My legs are kind of not working, so I just float over on my back. Jeez. Just kind of flailing my arms around. And then I'm like, okay, I had this realization. I was like, man, if I freak out, he's going to jump in. We're both going to drown here. Not going to be good. I got to make it to the shore. So I kicked into hyperdrive and turned around and swam to the bank. And then if you can jump in, if you jump into super cold water and your heart rate's up, apparently you can go into cardiac arrest or something like that. It sounds right. So, so as soon as I got to the shore, I was trying to like do jumping jacks and stuff, warm my body back up. And then I was like about to pass out a couple of times on this rock while I was doing the jumping jacks because I was so lightheaded. But yeah, it's pretty scary. Wow. <laughs> Dang, man. What was the temperature like outside? Um, it was probably in the 80s by then. Hmm. But we were wow. at 12,000 feet elevation in the middle of the mountains. So, was that where was that at? Uh, I was in, was California, in, in the, California, in the Sierras. Okay. That, how far were you in at that point in the hike? Uh, the Sierras start at mile 700, and that was like maybe 100 miles after that. Okay. So you still so had, still within, you still yeah, had a ways still to had go. ways to go, yeah. At that point, were you like, okay, no more stupid stuff? Like, uh, um, just like, I'm just going to try to survive now. No more. Sort of, but not really. Hmm. Like, I was still having a time of my life. I wasn't really... Once once that happened, and by like the next day, I'd already kind of forgot about it. I was like, oh, well, time to do the next thing. Yeah, and then you guys came across, was it, I might be totally making this up, like was it a mountain lion or a yeah. bear or something? What was it? Uh, both. Oh. Came across both, yeah. Man. <laughs> and you guys aren't like sleeping in, uh, in hotels and stuff. No, no. We probably slept in a bed like 20 nights out of the whole four months we were gone. The rest was out in either a tent, which... We didn't really even stay in a tent that long. Like, we just had a piece of plastic we'd lay on the ground, sleep sleep on that. <laughs> Literally sleep under the stars. Yep. <laughs> so whenever you uh, whenever you came across the, 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 the bear and a lion, both? Yeah, both. Separate times, but both, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely good. <laughs> Which were one of those times, like, you said you went to the jump on, like, a time I thought I was going to die. I guess you weren't nervous around the... <laughs> the, these like what well, I feel like are apex predators for whatever reason I've always been super comfortable in like very dangerous situations like I don't have a fear of heights I don't I, I like I went to the Grand Canyon and I was climbing on the edges like climbing down and then climbing across like little ledges and climbing up to the tops of these little rocks while Alexander and Caden watched me I've never been really scared of that kind of thing like I don't have a a, a fear or even a healthy fear of it of any yeah. of that kind of like dying sensation. So I don't, Man. I wasn't really scared when, whenever the bear and mountain lion came up. What, what do you think that is? Like, do you really think that this uh, absence of like the fear of death, like I feel like that controls so many people. Like, do you really take it back to just uh, your mom being like, you're okay? I guess so. I'm not really sure to be honest. I mean, there's been times I've been like scared, Obviously, I'm, I don't want to, like, I'm scared to die, but, like, in terms of, like, falling off of a cliff or, Being or like, getting too bear. close to the edge, like, I can go right up to the edge and have, uh, like, half of my foot sticking off, like, just standing on my heels without it really frightening me, so. Wow, I'm going to have you put Christmas lights up in my house <laughs> yeah, in yeah, December. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you 
don't get to finish the trail. Like you're, it's 2,650 miles. You made it, I think, 2,200 miles. Uh, we were, why weren't uh, you able to finish? Fires. We were 150 miles from the uh, border whenever, like, we got to the end of where we could hike because they closed everything down. We had hiked in from Stevens Pass, which is, like, one of the last ones that you pass by. And then from there you have to hike. There's, like, a little resort that you can stop at that some people stop at, but that's still, like, 100 miles from the, the terminus. So we hack out from there. We hack a day. We wake up smelling smoke. So we, we like, all check on our garments and stuff. And we find out there's fires, like, within a couple miles of us. So we're, like, mm. really, we don't know whether to push on mm. or to turn back. We really don't want it to end there. But then you you got to, like, make the smart decision. You're, like, well, it's 150 miles, like, really worth the repercussions we're going to face in, like, 10 years from breathing on all the smoke. So we finally, mm. like, we just decided to turn around and go back, but, yeah. Was that hard for you? Um, or did it feel like, man, that's completely out of our control, like, uh, it's was, not. It was hard at first, and then it kind of, like, clicked in my brain. I was like, we were going to finish. Like, there's no doubt in my mind we were going to finish. We had already made it all this far. I'd been hiking. Bodies weren't falling apart. Yeah, exactly. Like, I had hiked with a serious injury for, for, like, a week or two. What was your serious injury? I got, like, a really bad shin splint to the point that my leg swelled up, like, my ankle, and I had to tape it up because I put, put like, 650 miles on a pair of shoes when you're really only supposed to do, like, 500. Mm -hmm. What shoes were you wearing? Uh, I was wearing the, oh, what are they called? Uh, I I switched to the Hoka's, but I was wearing the other ones after, or before that. Dude, I just had a conversation with Dr. Zeke Schatz today, um... Because I've actually, I've got like plantar fasciitis, actually mm-hmm. my left heel. And he was saying, get some Hoka's. He's like, they're mm-hmm. miracle shoes. Yeah. yeah. I switched. I had the other shoes and I switched to the Hoka's. And then like the problem went away in two Seriously? days. Yep. I mean, not, all shoes are, you know, relative to your foot for like runners and hikers. Mm-hmm. Like what fits me, not well, not necessarily fit you, but Hoka's got a great reputation. Yeah. I, yeah. I've always, I've been wearing Brooks because I went to, you know, Gearhead and Jonesboro and they mm-hmm. do the whole thing where they watch you walk and all that. But yeah, he was like, Hoka's, but you can testify to that too. Yeah. To I, really, I like the Hoka's. I mean, do you run in them? Because I know you're training. Uh, yes. We'll talk about that in a little I bit. I bought a pair of running Hoka's to run in. So. Wow. Okay. So did you take a bunch of pair of shoes with you or do you buy some along the way? Um, no, you have to buy them on the way. Some people buy them all before, they'll buy like five pairs. And you can get like a decent deal, and then you just ship them yeah. to where you need them. Me and Alexander didn't do extensive enough research for that to like send stuff forward. So we're like, ah, we'll figure it out when we get there. So yeah, you just got to a town and hoped they had shoes, or hoped you could catch a ride to a, a bigger town to get a pair of shoes. It's wild to think about how fast you're wearing shoes out. Yeah, like I would just think, oh, you just packed one share a pair of shoes, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I went through four pair, and then I got my fifth pair like a few days before we called it quits. What was the uh most useful piece of equipment that you've packed? Um, uh, the backpack for sure. <laughs> for real, there's different types of backpacks that um, backpackers use. And mine had like a... It's not just a Jansport. <laughs> no, no. They all have different weights and stuff. And me and Alexander like compromised some of the weight for a better um, fitted backpack. So it had like a structure on the back. So you could switch the weight of the bag to your hips and, like, get the weight off of your shoulders. Oh, that's cool. Mm. And so that really was... So it's not wearing and tearing on one spot for a yep, long time. It was very helpful 
except especially for my shoulders, like I got back problems. So yeah. <laughs> it was that was probably the best piece of gear. So you decide to turn back around, you head back. Um it's still an incredible accomplishment, man. And I love the the just your heart and motivation behind why you decided to do that. It's very inspiring to me personally. What, as you look back now, it's almost a year uh, from whenever you guys went on it. You've had some time to really think about it. Mm -hmm. Like, what are your biggest lessons that you can take away that you're going to probably continue to apply to the rest of your life? Um, first off, people are super kind if you give them a chance to be. And, like, a lot of times we, we just um, we look at somebody and then judge them and then Never speak to them, basically. Don't even mm. get them a chance. Out there, you make friends really quickly. Mm. Like, it, way faster than you would here. Like, the the process is just so sped up. Do you think it's because you're all on a unified mission? Oh, uh, yeah. And then there's not, like, distractions of social media and uh. different jobs and all this. You're all just doing the same exact thing every single day. Mm. So, I would say people are kind if you give them a chance and also just if you set your mind to it, you can do it. Hmm. I was, um, you know, I referred to the video that I watched earlier before you came on and you had also talked about gratitude. Mm -hmm. Like, did you feel like if the trip, uh, that trail, like it, just the journey somehow increased your gratitude. Like that's kind of what I was picking up on from yeah. the video. Um, when you're out there, you don't have, you have what's on your back. You have your shoes, you know, you have your mm -hmm. trekking poles. All you have is what's in your backpack for however many days. Like the longest is like a six day in between towns. And then you'll pass a random road in the middle of nowhere and somebody will have a tent set up and they're just giving out free fruit or oh, wow. candy bars or sodas. or And you had no expectation of them being there. You're like, man, the next time I'm going to get a nice glass of soda is, is like four days from now. And then later that day, you see some random person. They're like, yeah, I did this trail like 20 years ago or something. I wish I had somebody that was giving me stuff. So there you go. So that kind of thing. You're just a lot more thankful for mm. just the tiniest little things that come up. So yeah, yeah, the stuff that we're so quick to take for granted or feel entitled to. Yes. You're now training for the Ironman competition. Half Ironman, but still. Okay, half Ironman, <laughs> which is, what are the distances on half Ironman? Uh, it's 70 miles total, 70.3. So it's a one-mile swim, 56-mile back ride, and then a 13-mile run. Okay. When is that supposed to be? Do you know? Uh, it's in June. In June? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I got. Have you started training for it? Yes, I did start. I, I was smart enough to start training for that one in advance because. What is the, yeah. the training regiment look like right now? Um, right now, I train six days a week. So I just... For the past four weeks, I've just been running and biking. And then last week, I started swimming, which is kind of what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. It's, you just got to remember how bad it felt yeah. whenever you were on the trail, man, back in California. Yeah. And you jumped in like, okay, it's not that bad. I was joking with the me and the people that we all hiked with, our, our trail family. We're all still super close. So I was telling mm. them about it. And they're like, just make sure you like get dropped off exactly a mile from shore. <laughs> and then <laughs> you'll be able to make it back. <laughs> so um, I just started swimming. Obviously need to work on that, but as long as I can finish that, I know I'll be good on everything else. I think I got a strong enough mind to handle it. 
And the running's the part that I would like the least, which I know is Chris, your sweet it's the spot. only part I would like. Yeah, I'm the a, only part you like. I'm a Chris, stronger uh, he's runner. he's a marathon guy. Yeah, I'm, uh, me and Alexander did a marathon a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Which one? Uh, it was in Little Rock. Oh, okay. that's a good one. The biggest medals in the country. It was a challenge. It was a challenge. They uh, put that medal around my neck, and I was like, Man, dude, I just finished 26 miles. That's a heavy metal. <laughs> it's huge. Yeah. Um, we have a guy that uh, part of the same church with, Jeremy Jones, who uh, several years ago when he was running a lot, he's actually a pharmacist. I can't remember if he's at CVS. I think CVS. He had, I think he had ran 2,500 miles one year. Um, mm-hmm. But he did several marathons, did the Boston Marathon, some others, and he said Little Rock is the hardest one he's ever done. Yeah, we, we were training around Walnut Ridge, which, if you know, is super flat. Mm-hmm. And so we got to Little Rock. Had all these not heels. Flat, yeah, it? not flat at all. So we were not prepared. <laughs> yeah, makes a massive difference. I'm curious for those who are listening to this, um, you know, everyone has their own battles. Everyone has uh, battles with, with shame, uh, emotional, you know, like just um, obstacles, sometimes physical obstacles of just mm-hmm. their own, you know, like whatever. They're born with this disability or whatever else it is, like, or they know someone that has... I'm curious, what, uh, before we move to rapid fire questions, like what encouragement would you give to them? Um, just that your, your life has a purpose. Mm-hmm. And you care if I share, share, um, share a story with you? No, man. Okay. I was 13. Uh, we used to spend our summers in Florida with my grandma. She would take us to church every Sunday, every Wednesday night. So I was at the Wednesday night service, and it was like a small group of us, just the the youth kids. And there was like four or five of us, three of those, or two of those being my younger and older brother. And um, I can't remember what we were talking about, but he just, he looked at me, the, the guy, the pastor giving the sermon, he looked at me and said, everybody's life has a purpose. And, um... If you think you're different, it's because you're supposed to be. Mm. And it kind of kind of hit me. Mm. And I just immediately kind of started bawling. <laughs> mm. And um, he didn't even really know. Didn't even, I don't even think he knew what he was doing. But then, like, later on, a few weeks, a few weeks later, he came up to me and just ha- hugged me. And he said, you're going to be all right. You're going to reach people. You're going to touch people. And um, that's always kind of stuck with me. So, mm. If if I can inspire somebody to do something just because they look at me and they're like, man, he has a disability or whatever, and he's still doing all right, he can do whatever he wants to, then that's that's kind of what makes me want to do that stuff. So, yeah, dude, that's super. Um, that's super inspiring to me, and I appreciate you being vulnerable enough to share that. I think that you know, there's at least for me, like there's times where I can feel that even I'm different or mm-hmm. that I don't fit in or yeah, exactly. you know, if people really knew everything about me, they'd be like, Oh, like, yeah. you know, whatever repelled or, and, and it's so easy sometimes to want to be somebody else, mm-hmm. somebody that you look at that you're like, Oh, if I just had their athletic ability or if I just had their intellect or if I just had their good looks or if I just had their money or if I just had their, yep. that, that network or whatever else. And, um, it is such a powerful message, man, and I'm, I'm I'm very thankful for that youth pastor that spoke that. But it's like, yeah, man, like that every single human being is created uniquely mm-hmm. in the image of God, and there's a reason why you're different. Yep. Um, there was a part of that video that, that you were talking about that I cut out, 
and it was just me talking about this question I always used to have in my head. I still pops up relatively like it never goes away, but just why me? You know, why I'm the one in all of Paragold or Jonesboro. Like, I've never met anybody else like me. I know they're out there, but I've never met anybody. Wow. So I'm just always, why me, you know? But I kind of, on that trail, came to the realization it doesn't really matter. Like, mm. the answer, it's not really answer. It's just because he has a plan for me, so. Yeah. Well, one thing is you haven't lived a boring life. You know, and I, I think that um, this is way easier said than done, but it's something I have to remind myself of a lot is if you think about any of your favorite movies, mm-hmm. or favorite books or stories, they've all got a One of the things that makes them very interesting is conflict. Yep. If there's pain, if there's struggle. And if you take that out of the story, it's going to be super flat. Exactly. And super boring. And I think as I listen to you talk, man, it's like, how would you say you are right now? 24, almost 24. 24, yeah. I just turned 40. And there's not a whole lot of 24-year-olds that I'm like, I could probably learn something from that guy. Mm. But I actually feel like I could learn something from you. And I think it's because you've suffered and you've overcome adversity. And, uh, man, I just want to, yeah, encourage you to continue to press forward and, because um, you've certainly inspired me today, and, and I know you're going to be able to inspire others and encourage others as well. You ready to move into some rapid-fire questions? Let's get it. What is the last show that you watched or the last book that you read? Um, on or it could tra- be a movie if it's not a show or whatever. On the trail, I was reading the um, the Jack Reacher novels okay. by Lee Child. Okay. Excellent. I wasn't reading them. I was listening to them on Audible, but yeah, same thing. Same thing, man. <laughs> I'm listening to a book on Audible right now, but I'll tell people I read it. Yeah, exactly. Consuming a book. Yeah. yeah there you go. Uh, this is a big question for me. What is your favorite band? Currently, um, what is your favorite band? Currently, Nathaniel Ratliff or Mount Joy. Those are the two Nathaniel that I'm listening Ratliff. to a lot. I've heard of him. Or what's the other one? Mount Joy. Mount Joy? Yep. What's your favorite band of all time? Oh, man. That's a hard question. Mount Joy's up there. It's a really hard question, especially with your generation, because I feel like more than we consume bands, we consume songs now. I listen to a lot of artists, like uh, all alternative music, a lot of different artists. Like I'll just go down the rabbit hole and find people, but probably Mount Joy is on the top three. Probably I'm excited to check them out because I don't know who they are. Love I love finding band. new bands. What is your favorite meal? Uh, my grandpa makes a really good um, chicken and dressing. Mm. Mm, I do like some chicken and dressing. Mm-hmm. Amen. The corner pieces, the, the kind of the mm-hmm. you know the crunchier kind yep. of crunch, yeah. Um, what is on your not stand right now? Bottle water. TV, remote, phone charger. Give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Uh, sitting at camp with my newfound friends and my old friends. That would be a cool... Wait, you said that gives me joy that's already happened? No, just yeah, an ordinary moment in your life that uh, gives you joy. Yeah, just Camping's s- great. Just camping, being out in out in the woods. Where's the best place to go around here to do a little camping to get out in the woods? 
I've never really camped around here. <laughs> all of, all I was hoping ex- you could give me yeah. something. I was going to give it a shot. All my camping experiences have been uh, on the West Coast pretty much. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Last question. What is one thing that you're deeply grateful for right now? Family. Family and friends. Very good. So without without those two, you got nothing. Yeah. Life... Uh, seems to be much more meaningful to you than most 24-year-olds that I've met. And so... Everybody um, I'm friends with, their focus is on making money, which there's nothing wrong with that, but I've done too much outdoors and, like, goal-wise in terms of that hike that kind of changed my perspective on all of that. Like, my perspective was already a little bit different than most before I went, but now afterwards I just... I don't, I don't, I try not to focus on that stuff. I'd rather spend time with friends and family than yeah, nobody, nobody, every time I think about it, nobody gets to their deathbed and wishes they would have worked more. Mm-hmm. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. I, I have a friend who has served as a, a hospice director for years in Kentucky. And, and, uh, I asked him one time, I said, what are, uh, what's like your biggest takeaway from being around dying people mm-hmm. all the time? And he's like, the stuff that we typically roll our eyes at yep. are the things that people wish they could go back and relive. And so, like, whenever your kid says, hey, can you push me in the swing again, Dad? Mm-hmm. Or it's always something relational is what he was getting at. It's never what you said. It's never, God, I wish I could have worked more. I yeah. wish I'd had more money. Or I wish I could have had a bigger house. Or I yep. wish I'd had a bigger boat. Or It's, it's like never almost that. never. I've, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like the stuff, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's like you would think, like, the stuff that's most important to us on our deathbed like should be the most important stuff to us no, now. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of times we just don't live with the end in mind. And, mm-hmm. um, but man, I just, I, I think that, yeah, you, you're, you've in no way played the victim. Um, you have used, uh, rather than using something or taking something that, that was dealt to you and use it as an excuse yeah. to pursue comfort and ease and be babied and all that kind of stuff, man. I love how you use that to drive you and to motivate you. And I think the suffering and the hardship that you've experienced has allowed you to experience life in a deeper way than most most young men can experience. And uh, I love the fact that even while we've talked a little bit, your eyes have you've gotten teary-eyed because I think that shows, man, that, again, your heart works and that, like, you really, truly are grasping the meaning of things and Mm -hmm. and how deep they are. And so that's a real gift, man. It's a real gift for for me. It's a gift for your friends. uh, It's a gift for your family. And so I just encourage you, don't lose that. Like, don't try to... Thank you. Don't try to get rid of that part of you. I'm going to try and trying to hold on to it (laughs) yeah man well thank you so much for for coming on and spending time i hope we get to do it again soon thank you and trevor thomas has left the building so glad that we got a chance to sit down with him that was Uh, a great story yeah yeah very good story i knew that it was going to be interesting just having like kind of the bullet points of of his story but uh man finding that right before he came on uh that he was born with this disability it's like like to me, like that made it um, even more compelling, and like I said several times, very inspiring. So, Trevor, thanks so much for coming on the show, and for those of you who are listening, thanks so much for 
tuning in. If you've not already done so, uh, please check us out on our different social media platforms. You can go to Facebook right now, find us, give us a follow, give us a like. Um, that's where you will be able to keep up with the different episodes that are being dropped. Every now and then we do giveaways. We should do another one of those that sounds good. in the near future. Um, we also are on Instagram. And you can go to, is it Apple? I always forget. Mm-hmm. Apple, Apple iTunes. Podcast. Apple Podcast. And uh, give us a five-star rating. That actually helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people that are living right here in this city. Hey, so, I'm, not, I'm not sure if this is new, but you can give ratings on Spotify now, too. Oh, can you really? Yeah. So we have five-star reviews there. Give us a five-star rating on Spotify. I did not know that was a thing now. We've right. got like six reviews. Really? We're doing well. We've got to start building up, man. <laughs> it's uh, 150 on Apple. So it's a little bit better over there. It's been over there for a while. So, um, hey, as always, thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time.